0: Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn why visual information sharing is so important and what happens if it's not in place. Hello, my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. And thank you for taking time in your busy day to tune in. Thank you so much. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of how visuality allows you to embed the intelligence of your operational system, your intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. This is your intelligence through the visual paradigm how to install the details of your current level of enterprise excellence, even if you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be, whether you work in a factory, hospital, office, or open pit mine. Visuality is about information sharing that is physically in place that we perceive, that we pull to us through our senses. We're sight dominant, so it's going to be predominantly through our eyesight, but all the other senses can be enlisted as well. And why do we do it? Well, we do it for the stunning bottom line results, improvement in safety, cost, quality, productivity, on-time delivery. We do it for splendid cultural alignment because visuality triggers, creates, produces a spirited aligned, and engaged workforce on all levels. And we also do it to enjoy ourselves at work. So we can go to work, and it can be what we look forward to at our, in our day. Ono said it well. He said it better than anyone. He said, people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. What would it be like for people to come to work for the pleasure of thinking, for the pleasure of solving for the pleasure of inventing, for the pleasure of contributing. This is the goal and, in fact, one of the major outcomes of a workplace that speaks, to which I say, oh, wonderful, (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) So welcome, welcome to our show today. You know, I have been working on identifying, framing, and integrating the principles and practices of visuality into a paradigm, into a coherent whole I've been doing that for over three decades. The majority of my work, which is always research, happens on the shop floor, in operations, in offices, of some of the best companies in the world, or at least some of the most interesting. (laughs) And in the process, I have developed a set of what I consider visual best practices, methods, concepts, systems of thinking, that will help us appreciate visuality as a language, as a paradigm of language, and to use it for the benefit of our companies, our workplace, the bottom line, the work culture, for the benefit of ourselves. I've learned a lot, and I'm so grateful. And my company has taken that learning and converted it into tangible things such as online training systems, webinars, DVD, train-the-trainer processes, books, We are about marrying visual with your other continuous improvement and lean initiatives. And the outcome is operational excellence, reliable, robust, complete. Wow. (laughs) So you can find out more about us at visualworkplace.com. You can find our books and our training packages. We are also beginning to populate the website with some very nicely narrated visual devices so that you can kind of Um, get acquainted through pictures, through examples with the model, with the 10 doorway model, which I've been explaining. I think I'm in my fifth or sixth week now and with many more to go. And you can see it in action. You can read my books. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, just send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com, radio at visualworkplace.com. And I'll get it usually within 24 to 36 hours, if not immediately. So, well, I lied to you, I'm sorry, but last week I said we were done with uh, Doorway One. How silly of me. I was just talking about the cultural aspects and I never went through the kind of physical outcomes, the borders, the addresses, the ID labels, the pattern of work, smart placement. I want to kind of give you the best of the rest, the rest of Doorway One today I'm going to squeeze in the actual mechanics of visuality, the physical outcomes in this show. And then later in later shows, after we get through the 10 doorways, I will go into greater depth, into detail, into telling detail about the doorways. I want you to be able to listen to these shows and get the concept, but I also want to see you put this stuff. Put these things in action, if I can call it stuff. All these marvelous, marvelous practices. So we're going to continue with Doorway One today. Ha ha ha. <laughs> visual order, visual inventiveness, work that makes sense. You know, I don't call it 5S because it is so far away from the origins. But in fact, it is an elevated 5S, as I said before, a kind of 5S on steroids, if that's legal, if that's even legal. And while its origins do come from 5S, my particular uh, evolution has been into this very rich operator involvement form, form, comprehensive and transformative, transformative in every sense of the word, culturally and financially. Here we have hourly employees actively and spiritly with vim and vigor and a whole heart engaged in reinventing their performance, reinventing their own performance visually through the visual language. Wonderful, wonderful. So today we're going to take a look at the best of the rest, (laughs) turning it into a little bit of poetry, the best of the rest of Doorway One. I hope in enough detail to, um, for you to get the important difference between auditing for compliance, auditing your hourly employee for compliance against a preset um, protocol of rules and requirements, kind of sounds like neat, clean, orderly. As compared to supporting a creative, inventive process, a process of innovation and contribution that is based on principles and methodology and that evolves over time, there are some big landmarks. The big landmarks have, that are visible are smart placement and then captured in the visual where your borders and addresses. And for you to understand the the size of the cultural and financial outcomes, they are both progressive, impressive, and trackable. It is the world that lies beyond neat and clean, labels and lines. It is the world of visual functionality, beginning with the visual wear. And it is owned, this doorway, wholly owned, the doing and the learning, the implementation and the mastery by your operator level, your value-add associates. It's simply glorious. I want to give you some examples of results so you know that this isn't just, uh, as though it weren't enough, for many companies it is, a complete revolution transformation of your work culture on the operator level. But we're looking, for example, at Trailmobile a number of years ago when we started working with them. Lots of wonderful stories related to them. I hope we get to them in another show. But when we came on board, it had just, a had just become uh, a member of uh, the Tromobile family, this particular plant. It had been privately owned with accident frequency at 11%, delivery warranty costs at 3000 per unit. and operational efficiency because they still used it at 117%. And there were lots of difficulties with the the plant. There was a high level of employee absenteeism and, of course, supervisor absenteeism. It was just hard. So the timeline I like to say about what happened at Trailmobile is 100 visual thinkers later... Employee absenteeism was down from 80% to 10% per month. Now, 10% is still a lot, but 80%, that means somebody was absent. 80% of the workforce was absent for at least one day per month and beyond that. The liberation and redeployment of 50% of the total production square footage of the floor. Supervisory retention up, this is after eight months. That's approximately 100 visual thinkers later was up by 25% eight months after launch. And when the gas prices rose and the market dried up in this uh, trailer industry, the plant had to cut back to one shift, 50% fewer employees. And that shift was able to maintain the 117% efficiency and increase it by 17. I'm sorry, 7, 7%, not 17, but 7%. And what April Love, who started as the visual workplace or a work that makes sense coordinator and was promoted because of her extraordinary work, because of her embrace of the methodology which really turned her into an extraordinary leader, I asked her to comment on the cultural evolution. And she said this is wonderful, wonderful comment she made. She said, you know, this visual approach has unlocked the potential of our employees. The potential, Gwendolyn, was always there. We just couldn't see it. Now our associates are the driving force behind not just the change, but our journey to excellence. And new employees can light light a candle from an existing flame where before there was nothing. It's amazing. If we have time, I'll give you the numbers uh, from another organization. That was in Trailmobile, pretty high volume, pretty low complexity. And if we have time, if I don't do it this time, I'll do it the next. I'll give you some amazing numbers from low volume, high complex, high complexity production, high mix production. But this is simply Doorway 1. It is the implementation of the visual wear. It isn't just what you're changing, it's how you're changing. We how you're changing it. We spent four or five shows, I think it was four shows on the cultural aspect of Doorway number 1. We talked about Charlie's table. We talked about the gentleman who said he wanted to be a hero at work, he wanted to do great things. We talked anecdotally about the need for a cultural change on the operator level and how this methodology gets it. This is an extension of 5S. This is where you can go on 5S. You know, I've been implementing for decades, and I never cease to be amazed at how well and how reliable the process, which I now call work that makes sense, WTMS, how reliably it works This is not a cookie-cutter form of change where you paste on something and hope that it sticks. The principles and concepts and tools of this process are knowable and relevant. You can list them out, I do. Yeah, there's a list. (laughs) But it takes engagement and diligence and commitment of the heart on your part to make it work we will spend several shows on how trainers train in this methodology and all visual methodologies. But the first thing that happens, to give you just a quick look, is that you have to fall in love with visuality, which is a natural for us anyway, since 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data. This comes naturally to us humans. Mm -hmm. And as you engage, the methodology will support you. And yes, you may make local edits, we hope you do, that take into account the glories and peculiarities of your company or even even your country. I'm doing an extensive implementation right now in Mexico. And believe me, the quality and the context of the Mexican people has a big, big role to play in how things get done in those companies, in this company where that's undergoing a visual conversion in two of its plants. The outcomes are just astonishing. So your heart, your mind, your innovation, your own smarts, your own commitment are running in parallel and in conjunction with those of the operator. You have a specific role to play, and they do too. They take the lead in the thinking and in the changing. They do. But it bears repeating that when we talk about anything to do with 5S, most People think about something that is formulaic, that follows a lockstep process, like mixing a chemical formula, an exact quantity of each ingredient stirred to the left, stirred to the right, boiled at an exact temperature, or not boiled at all, and voila, you've made it. The physical conversion of your operations into one that speaks is not an automatic process. It has to be rational and systematic. You have to stay awake for it, if I may presume. You may you may find things unexpectedly positive that are happening or some bumps along the way. This is a science, and it is an art. It is not formulaic. It is closely watched. Frequently calibrated, attentively observed, carefully edited, and loved. You love it. So the visual wear, the mechanical part of doorway one, looks like a formula, border, address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. There's the criteria for everything that casts a shadow. Locations you can see for everything that casts a shadow. And you know what happens when you do that? And we we teach this directly to operators. They know what happens and they will tell you. Yes, what happens is the pattern of work. That's the visual wear. The pattern of work. The pattern of whip. The pattern of movement of materials. The pattern of quality. Captured in these marvelous borders. And did you know this? Currently on my list is a list of 19 distinct border types. 19. I started with two the the way you did. Aisle borders and framing borders, borders around things. But there are 17 others that I discovered, that we discovered, by applying a system of thinking. Thinking borders, smart borders. Double function borders, hatched borders, directional borders. Nested borders, time based borders, person with borders, and on and on and on. How wonderful! What a menu! So inventive and superbly functional. Imagine changing the nature of this compliance formula called 5S into not just highly creative, but superbly functional, making a contribution that you can track, you can name, and you can measure. And then after borders, we focus on addresses, wonderful addresses. But you know what we do before that? <laughs> before we lay down the so-called lines, you call them lines. I'm not saying you call them. You might call them borders or something else. But many people call them lines, with which is simply an arithmetic um, construct. doesn't have a real operational function. That's why I call them borders. But you know what happens before we lay down a single border? We put into place, we find, we discover, we identify smart placement. We all know the value mantra in the real estate industry, location, location, location. Well, location is critical in the workplace too, not just because you need to know where things are, but you need to begin with To make sure those things are in the right place and by the right place, we don't just mean a designated home location, a la 5S, as in a place for everything and everything in its place. But what is its place? Right place means the smart place, the smart location for that item in relationship to every other item in the work area the conscious, conscientious location of things, smart placement. When things are smartly placed in relationship to each other, the entire landscape of work becomes connected, letting material information and people flow in and through the work area with a minimum of, remember this word, motion. Shorthand for motion, struggle. A minimum of motion, motion, the footprint of the enemy, The enemy is information deficits. Now, I want to say, and I'm going to be saying this probably to an obnoxious degree during our time together today, when I'm talking about these elements of concept and principles, this is exactly what we teach operators. They know as much as we do so that they can go further because they also know their work. And I have never, in my many, many decades—and not even years, or decades—of working with operators, found an operator who isn't seduced by the act of thinking, hmm? by the opportunity to think against a set of principles and against constructs that you could call engineering constructs, but not out of reach, esoteric. I'm not sure, cool, I am sure, yes, really cool ideas, principles that may seem esoteric to a manager who maybe hasn't yet encountered the brilliance on the shop floor. They're not out of reach. When all the things are smartly placed in relationship to each other in a work area, the entire landscape becomes connected and you can generate a flow of work. And more than that, that flow of work can be accelerated and deaccelerated at will. Whose will, the will of your customer, The will of the pull, the will of your schedule. When smart placement is not applied, the opposite is often true. When the objects in your work area, whether they're materials, parts, consumable, benches, desks, filing cabinets, chairs, even trash cans are physically placed without careful thought and intention. The result can be just a tangled muddle that feeds motion in your area instead of supporting a smooth and elegant flow of work. We come to work to work. If we get very lucky, we can become a hero at that work. But we certainly need flow in order for that deeper level of ourselves to come to the surface, that heroic level. The struggle has to end. If you want the best of me, take the struggle away, and you'll get it. It's waiting there. It wants to come out. As, as, as April Love said, the potential was always there. We just couldn't see it. We couldn't trigger it too much in the way. Smart placement begins when operators identify and evaluate the current level of things in their work area, the current location of function. We do that through a map called a what is map. This is not a spaghetti map, but it will look like a plate of spaghetti. It is a map to map the motion to, to validate that the location of this function is triggering this motion to get from here to there and back again. You do a 45-minute snapshot in some areas, in some companies, you'll get a pile of spaghetti. Sometimes it'll take three-hour, three-hour snapshot to really see it pile up just because of the nature of work and the cycle times, etc. In all cases, the operator learns to recognize that that is that each work item, each thing represents a specific function, I better get clear on it. A desk, for example, isn't a desk. It represents the paperwork function. While a machine is not just a CNC, it represents the conversion function, the conversion of material into product specs that the customer will buy and therefore we're adding value. So we talk this language, that the true function of an object can be placed correctly or smartly in your work area or can become a barrier. The central question in smart placement, which we do before we lay down a single border, is, is this the most correct location of this function in my area so that the flow, the flow increases and is safer, more aligned, less costly? The relationship is always of functions to each other. They function together. It's called a process. Each item in the work area is designed to contribute to the value preposition of the work area. And to do so, we hope, or we make it safely, conveniently. So we have these 14 principles of smart placement And in the first map, we just look at the what is state. Just what kind of soup are we in? (laughs) We do this map. It doesn't happen quickly. And you know what's interesting, and you may have an objection to this, but we are committed to it. We don't use a CAD drawing. We We ask operators to recreate the map and the proportions and what they think is there and isn't there from their mind. And this begins to exercise the muscle of remembering and calculating and positioning. But it also, because the person is working with other people, helps the muscle of listening. The muscle that is not that frequently used called tolerance. Somebody else thinks it's somewhere else, thinks it's a different size. And we use smart placement as the major, major first milestone in beginning to build a culture of contribution, of tolerance, of listening to each other. Everybody is working on the map, you see, the first map, the what is map. There'll be a second map, which is called the dream map or the could be map, where people take what they've laid down, and they've laid it down in post-its. They make a second map identical to their first map, and they move the post-its around based on better placement, a function. And they see what happens to the flow. In the second map, they're using these 14 principles of smart placement, But I want to tell you about the first map a little bit more so you understand how important it is as in a scientific assessment tool that the operators develop and then use the microscope to see the nature of the struggle that they know that they're having. The 5.5 miles that Janet Jones walked in a single week without ever leaving her department because of the location of function. Do you remember in our building blocks, we talked about motion metrics? Well, whip out the pedometers, whip out the stopwatches. They come real in the what is map. They come real. We see me. That's my feet going around those corners, carrying that material from A to M and back to A again with maybe a stop at G and H in between, maybe R, We see it. And the permission is given at the beginning of this mapping process. The promise is made. We want you to identify the things in your workplace that you can easily and safely move yourself. As a blue, use the blue post-it. Please put your whip, your work and process in pink, your consumables in green, and things that you can't move easily or safely or you need a contractor for, you need permission for, put them in yellow. So we can make a distinction between the changes that you can easily make yourself and the ones that you will need to be authorized for, permitted to. Because remember, the methodology, in this doorway and in all doorways, whatever your organizational level Whatever your pay grade is eye driven. So, we want to free up these artificial barriers that will not neededly necess- not stop the flow of change. And operators know anything in blue, they can move. And operators are very, very careful, perhaps too careful with identifying yellows. We sometimes have to poke at that and say, is this really yellow? It's a plastic screen, and I think you and I can move it. It just feels like it's been there forever and it's part of the forest. But in fact, I bet you and I can move it together. I'm thinking of a particular welding cell where the blue screens were treated as walls, but they weren't. So it becomes very interesting, and very interesting. And I will tell you one of the keys is something called the third focus. This is actually a part of the um, elements of the methodology and that is to have people focus on it rather than on each other. If you have a difficult workforce and you ask them to get along <laughs> by looking at each other and attempting to share, man, it's, it hasn't ever worked in my lifetime. But if I can get those same people to sit and focus somewhere else on the table, on a map, a third focus, and talk about that and talk to each other through that, it diffuses the situation and miracles happen. Maybe they aren't miracles based on an angelic definition, but they're miracles because people begin to make progress together when they don't even like each other because they're doing this third thing we focus on that third thing. Try it, just put it down, piece of paper. Even if you have a piece of paper in front of two people and you don't have any use of the paper, but you give one person a pencil and that person starts drawing on that piece of paper, the focus will shift to that piece of paper and the flow has a better chance of grabbing between the two people. And that's part of the methodology. This is a cultural revolution. I've been doing this since, ah, when was it, 1993 or 4? And it works. And we do that before we put down any borders or any so-called lines. We bring our brain into the center of the activity and we say, is this the best place? Let's map it out. How much motion does it really trigger? Where it is right now, let's map that motion. And that's what we do with the what is map. And, you know, it can take two or three hours. And then, if you want to go a step further, you have people present on their discoveries, on their insight, what they discovered in doing the mapping about what the struggle is. If you want to go another step further, you say before they present, hey, Would you just put this little red dot on anything that you consider to be a risk or in your way or you might bump up against? And let's see that too. And there are other little elements that help people see into their work. That's the first map. That's a whole training session right there, three to four hours. At the end of it, operators own that motion. They know about it. They can name it. They can track it. You don't need to motivate them to want to change it. Is it irresistible? Well, I've been, I've, it's been called irresistible. It's been called seductive and intoxicating because you know you can change the blues, but you have to first understand what the problem with that blue post-it is. Mm-hmm. And then you move on to the second map, which is the dream map. And this is where you begin to apply 14 principles of smart placement. Wonderful principles. Of course, point of use. But also store things, not air. And also use the existing architecture. Make it ergonomically safe. Double the function. Follow the natural flow line. Sort the universe. Aren't these wonderful names? (gasps) Design to task. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And people begin to reconfigure based on a new logic and based on optimizing the flow. Engineering 101, we've had engineers sit in and they take furious notes. And in fact, with one of my clients, somewhere in the next month or two, they're going to be using, a group has asked to use the 14 principles against the layout of a new plant. That should be very interesting. I think they'll be very successful, and then people present on their dream map or their could-be map, moving only the yellows. And after a while, when people get really, really uh, itchy and antsy, we say, "We say, okay, okay, experiment with the blue, with the yellows, but remember, there's no promise made. You can present on them, but the only thing we promise is that if a no comes." you'll understand the nature of that no. It won't be just a blind no, but you may get a yes. And there have been amazing, amazing changes that have been fully justified right there on the spot. And during the presentation, walls have come down. Flows have been combined. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. And the ownership is there and you don't have to work on it because what people are owning is that one thing that can be shared without walls and that is ideas. They're owning their ideas and they're sharing and they're building on each other's ideas. And the whole feeling is this feeling of relief, of ownership. We don't talk about ownership. You need to own it. We give people the opportunity to own it and then they do because they truly own it and sharing ideas. And yes, there are minority reports for people who don't want their ideas to get mixed up with somebody else's idea, they want to play by themselves, we set them up with their own map. It's a wonderful cultural revolution. And now that and when those objects are moved, mostly to match the map, it takes five or six weeks to get everything in place. Now you're ready for, you're ready to nail those locations, those smart locations through visual location information, through visual devices that embed the visual wear. This is the heart. Visual wear is where your smart placement becomes visible, where you can see the pattern of work. Mm? It's so marvelous to actually have a logic, a rationale, a reason to lay down the so called lines because people understand. These aren't lines, these are functions. And look, I have 19 types of border functions to choose from. Which of them best support the outcomes? Person with borders. So that we have the border function and the access function. This is really important for plants, for your factory, if you haven't yet gone to lean, Where your whip is not under control, but it stacks, it piles. How do you walk through the whip? Person with borders. Bordering can get off to a slow start, especially if people think that borders are going to be a problem if they're in place. And we often find this, especially in plants that are uh, deep into their lean, where visual is coming as a second strategy. To harvest another forty to sixty percent of benefit, because it will. And laying down borders can trigger some strong opinions, some hesitations, and they sound like this. Isn't it better not to lay down floor borders in the first place if we're just gonna change our minds about where they go? If we if we skip borders completely, we don't have to then change them. We can just change the flow. That's the way this faulty, faulty logic goes. It's based on the assumption that borders take too much time to apply and they'll take even more time to remove so they're not worth putting down in the first place. Well, first of all, before we even begin the training, module one, visual basics, module two, the building blocks, module three, the toolkit, module four, Five, six, and seven, smart placement. Module eight, borders. Before we even begin with module one, the coordinator and his or her lead team identify how to lay down borders so that they last a year and how to remove them overnight so that, in fact, borders last and hold up, but they can be changed. As we get smarter, our borders get smarter. Another principle of the visual workplace. As we get smarter, our borders evolve. They get smarter too. They have to. If the flow changes, the borders have to change because that's the change in the pattern of work. You see? Borders and the time needed to implement them are well worth it because of their positive and significant impact on safety, quality, productivity, on-time delivery. First on the micro level, within the cell, within the area, and then on the macro level. That's the way you connect the plant. Borders are major, major visual linkage plant-wide on the macro level. Borders don't take, I'm going off, I'm going I'm going down a little list of three, (laughs) three responses to people who get grumpy about the idea of putting down borders in the first place because they're not worth it. So number one is you get tremendous benefit from quality, cost, delivery, on-time delivery, productivity. And borders don't take any longer to implement than any other safety, quality, productivity, or cost-saving tool. If you think of it as a line, then of course you're going to start to complain. I'm laying down a line. It took me an hour to lay down a line. (laughs) Of course. That's not the functionality of borders. And three, in fact, changing your borders must become a routine and fluid part of your fluid part, fluid or flowing part of your improvement process. And you identify that before You train the first module, and it does take time and research. Some of your floors are porous, so you get the border down, but, man, you have to grind it up, especially in old plants or plants that have tiles, even worse. And then somebody comes along and digs a hole into the tile to do something underneath and puts the tiles back in such a way that you've got these striped tiles that actually used to be a border, and now they just look like a... I don't know, pattern on a shirt. They just look like a geometric design that's gone wrong. Mm -hmm. You have to be thoughtful about this. There are many, many reasons why borders make sense, but unless you can change them quickly and unless you can find a way for them to stick, they'll be discouraging. So you have to do this on the front side. The research is there. Remember Lizzie Garaby, who works for Crown in Mexico, marvelous young engineer who has become an executive as the visual workplace coordinator, the work that makes sense coordinator. She was experimenting even into into 18 months in the implementation because she wasn't satisfied with the color, the vibrancy of the borders. She wanted the borders the way the operators wanted them. She, they wanted them to pop. They had wonderful borders for family of parts, for the flow of work. Oh, my goodness, so gorgeous. Honestly, although it's not meant to do so, but these borders brought beauty into the plant. Beauty. Beauty. I can see them now. This wonderful Lavender was for a family of part parts where the operators wanted to be able to see at a glance the incoming whip and the outgoing whip and what pride what love they showered upon their borders when their machines i'm thinking of radial now the radial machine was moved the borders disappeared and the operators the four operators who worked on that machine, one on each shift and then a floater. They were so sad to see the borders go, but they began to put them back in place again with such cleverness. The pattern of work. The pattern of work installed borders from the ground up. Borders are the single most powerful visual device available for establishing and maintaining visual order. Order you can see, order that functions. This is a competency. Visuality and the ability to speak this language and to make this language visible in the workplace is a competency. It's called visual thinking. The flow increases, it's safer. There is a visible relationship between things, and you can see it in the borders. Motion. Motion that is triggered by missing information, the visual wear. If you work in a, in a depot, in a military depot, and you've been struggle, struggling with, with lean, stop struggling. Go to the informational landscape, the visual, and make it visual. Then you'll be able to accelerate your flow in a depot. Mm-hmm. It is an information-based environment, not a time-based environment. Lean is for time. Visuality is about information. Borders. So I wanted to give you a sense of the Best of the rest. I haven't given you the deeper details of the technology of smart placement. You can get my book, Work That Makes Sense. You can get the online training program in Spanish or in English, which I think is visi- just fantastic that teaches work that makes sense and spends four modules on smart placement and a full module on borders. <laughs> can you imagine talking for an hour and 15 minutes about borders and the different types of borders and the rules for laying down the borders and picking them up and a whole nother module on addresses for the visual wear. When the visual wear is, when it is in place for the operator, it feels as though you have completed all 10 doorways or at least 90% of the journey is over with that's how important The visible answer to the where question is to operators. That is where they stumble. You put that in place. You help them learn to put that in place. And they will feel as though the workplace, the work environment is visual because the struggle is going to be so hugely reduced. This is doorway number one. It is both the what, the outcome which is what we're talking about today, the outcome, the tangible outcome of borders, addresses preceded by smart placement. And it is the how. How do we put it in place? Yes, the principles. Yes, the methodology. That is the how. But it is also the cultural commitment to eye-driven, to dealing with the vagaries of turning power over to operators to think and to do. That's what you're sharing. You're sharing the power that already exists. You're releasing the power that has been held back by management, not for reasons of blame, but just because that has been the cultural zeitgeist of our uh, industrial revolution. And that's shifting, shifting, shifting. That's been happening now for thirty-five years, and it is truly uh, a miracle. And you turn that over to operators, and you say, "Go ahead. I'm going to teach you the methodology, and then you're going to show it. Show me it, it in action. You're going to use it, please. This isn't an order. This is falling in love." This is Einstein's definition of discipline. Discipline, he said, is remembering what you love. This is uh, at the heart of the I-driven paradigm. Help people to think. Help people to love their minds. Give them not just permission, but the clear pathway to own their own thinking And put their ideas in place against a methodology, not brainstormed ideas, but ideas that are based on principles applied. Scientific thinking and the art of the heart. Hmm. This is doorway number one. This is the liberation of information and with it the liberation of the human will. I'm in charge of my own will, I get to decide. You can come close, you can take a lot, but my will is my will. And we have endless stories of people under duress, people under struggle, who could not be bent. And even when they were bent, there was some part of them that they knew was me. This is me. This is me. This is, I am here. I am now. And it may appear that I've abdicated, but I know about this other part, this secret part, the me part. Hmm? You can't take this from people. They have to give it. Lots of us who have been in marriages and relationships know this to be true. (laughs) That's just a a hot venue for the same powerful will. How wonderful that we are in a world of transformation that recognizes the technology, the mechanics of change, and also the humans who engage that change and who apply that change and who fight that change or love that change. What a commotion. What a commotion we're in. It's entirely my pleasure to share Doorway One with me With you, (laughs) I'm sharing it with me too because I'm enjoying it as I visit it again through talking to you. And I hope that you become interested. I hope that you want to learn more. Many of you have experienced all or most of what I'm talking about. Others of you may feel a little hesitant, but it works. We have study after study after study, evidence, and transformed workplaces. Think about doorway number one. I'm going to move on, I promise you, to doorway number two in uh, our next show together. And then doorway number three. And I think what I'll do is I'll move through the doorways lightly and then come back through them again with more detail. There's a great deal to be said about each of them. And I will definitely come back with smart placement and the visual wear, so that you you get some of the details on that, and you feel not just the encouragement, but the um, the logic of this wonderful, wonderful visuality. This wonderful language language of the senses brought into our operations. So, I feel like I should read some poetry. Let me see if there's a book nearby. Oh wait. I think I've got a poem here. I'll end with a poem. Let's see what's... This is in front of my work that makes sense book. And let's see which poem I have. Ah, La Poesia. This is what it's like for people. This is Pablo Neruda, translated by David White. When he, he was like 40 years old, he was like Gauguin. He wrote his first poem. And this is a translation. This is what it's like for operators to suddenly own and know and apply. He says La Poesia. And something ignited in my soul, fever, or unremembered wings, and I went my own way, deciphering that burning fire, and I wrote the first bare line, bare, without substance, pure, pure foolishness, pure wisdom of one who knows nothing. And suddenly I saw the heavens unfasten and open. This is what it's like. This is a description of what I have seen, Happen or what operators have told me. This is different. This is me. I have a place. I'm contributing. I can make things better and I know how. Something ignited in my soul. And I went my own way, meaning this internal journey that we call thinking, inventing, caring, loving, loving my work and loving the change. Pablo Neruda a fragment of a much longer poem. Thank you very much, everyone. I had a wonderful time with you today. I look forward to the next time. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. And you know what? Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.